Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to the ninth chapter of Romans as we continue our study in this letter? What we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. We're going to see a greater picture today of the sovereignty of God. We have been seeing pictures of the sovereignty of God the last three weeks, four weeks, as we've looked into the ninth chapter of Romans and considered God's election. God's free and unconditional election that God is a God who has the freedom to have mercy upon whom he wants to have mercy and compassion on whom he decides in his will to have compassion. That's a part of what it means to be God. He claims that right in his word. He exercises that right in relationship to mankind. That's an aspect of his sovereignty. We're going to look at another aspect of his sovereignty today. We're going to look at the aspect that God is not only free and unconditional in his election, those that he's going to save, he's also free and unconditional in his hardening of individuals, hardening them in their sin. Let me just point out a verse from last week, the last couple of weeks to set the stage again for the topic that we're covering here. Romans chapter 9, verse 11, Paul has made it abundantly clear that God is free in the extension of His mercy and His choosing those whom He will call to himself and make his own. Romans chapter 9, verse 11, he drove this point home with Jacob and Esau. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Again, Paul is just making it really clear here that God chooses those whom he decides to choose. He has mercy where he decides to have mercy. He summarizes it again in verse 16 of the ninth chapter that we looked at last week. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So one of the aspects of the sovereignty of God is that he chooses to have mercy on whomever he wills. And he's free in that, self-determining in that. Today we're going to look at another aspect of the sovereignty of God. And that is that he is free in his determination on those that he will harden in their sin. When we come to this kind of full picture of the sovereignty of God, that He is free and absolutely the ultimate reason and in control of both aspects of this reality, those He will have mercy upon and those He will harden, we struggle. We struggle with that. 
I think we struggle with it. Maybe I'll just give you two quick reasons. One is we struggle with it because we want to be in control. It's against the very grain of the human heart to be subservient. We want to be in control in the self-determining reality of our own life. But what Scripture teaches is that we're not. God's in control. That makes it difficult. But here's another aspect. Another struggle that we can have with God's absolute and complete sovereignty is absolute and complete control of all things. And it's this. We look at it from our human perspective and how historically and experientially Absolute sovereignty is a bad thing, right? What we know about the human race is that absolute power absolutely does what? It corrupts. Absolute power absolutely corrupts. One key example of our concern over that, just our Constitution of the United States, we have, in this country, we have our government divided into three different branches of government, right? We have the legislative branch, and what the legislative branch does is that they make laws, and then we have the executive branch, and they carry out the laws, and then we have the judicial branch, and they interpret laws. In each one of those three branches, there is vested a certain amount of power, and it's set up that way so that Each one is, in a sense, the watchdog of the other. None of them have absolute power. There's a protection built in to the diversity of power that are given the legislative and the executive and the judicial branches of our government. And rightly so, because with humanity, power corrupts. But that's not true with God. What we have in God is we have a God of absolute power, absolute sovereignty. And His absolute sovereignty does not lead to tyranny the way it does in humanity. So what I want to do this morning is I want to, I want to build a case, a biblical case for the fact that God is absolutely sovereign, not only in his mercy, but in his hardening. Romans chapter 9, verse 17 and 18. Let's read those two verses. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he, God, has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. First of all, just notice here that what Paul does is what he has done so many times in Romans chapter 9 already. He reaches back into the Old Testament, and he grabs an illustration. He grabs a story, the life of Pharaoh, and he uses that to build the truth, to prove the truth of what he is teaching about the free and unconditional nature of God's hardening. He uses Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, to drive that truth home. 
Now, before we look into that, let me just say this. We have seen multiple times Paul presenting a truth here in Romans, particularly in Romans 9, but he does that throughout Romans. But he builds a truth, states a truth in Romans 9, and then he reaches into the history of Israel, into the Old Testament, and he grabs a scripture and he illustrates that the God that he is talking about in the day that he's writing is the same God of the Old Testament. He does that with Isaac and Ishmael. He does that with Jacob and Esau. He does it here with Pharaoh. Here's the point. The God that we serve today is the God that has always been here. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. What we need in developing our revelation of God and understanding who God is, is we cannot rely upon our own reasoning powers. We need to go to the self revelation of God in the Word. Paul's example is driving that truth right there home. One of the key components of an understanding of theology is this. Everything about God that can be known about God has to be self-revealed by God. You see, He is higher and more exalted than us. The only way we can know Him is we've got to find out from Him what He is like. And so what He has done is that in his word he has given us his great self-revelation so that we can look into his word and understand who he is. Ultimately, the greatest revelation that he has given us is in his son. His son is the exact representation of the father. And his word paints this picture of this full revelation of God, at least the amount to which he wants us to understand him. So please see that Paul is doing that. He is showing us the God that has always been. It's the same God in the New and the Old Testament. So here, what Paul is showing us about God is that God hardens whomever he wants to harden. What we're doing here is we're taking a deeper dive into the mystery of God. We have been swimming around in the depths of the mystery of God all through Romans chapter 9, these deep and difficult passages. And here we're going to a deeper depth still. And what will happen here is as it did in the early part of Romans 9 with the election, it stretches our finite minds. In fact, it outstrips and outreaches what our finite minds can grasp and attain. And the same is going to be true here with God's sovereign decision, free decision to harden whom he wills. It's going to outstrip and outdistance our ability to fully grasp it. But here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that what it will not do is outstrip the framework of your faith. That you can believe even that which is beyond your full ability to comprehend. So here's how I'm going to approach this. I believe in this truth fully that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to build for you what I believe is a biblical case for God's sovereignty in hardening those whom He chooses to harden. And what my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will take this truth and send out the Word of God into your heart and do this. He'll help you to see and grasp a greater revelation of the glory of God as he gives this fuller revelation of God's sovereignty through the text that we're going to look at. So that's my stated purpose and goal. So let's look at the biblical evidence for God's free and unconditional sovereignty, or God's free and unconditional hardening in his sovereignty. First of all, the text itself that we're looking at today. Verse 18, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to take this journey of these ever-widening steps of context. We're going to start with the text right here where we're at and see what it says, and then we're going to begin to look at the text surrounding this text. So we're looking at the immediate context, number two. And then number three, we're going to go to the text that Paul quotes in Exodus and see what that text says and what it means about God's freedom in hardening those that he will. And then we're just going to take a quick glimpse at the overall picture of the Word of God and what it says. And what I believe we'll see in these texts will build a biblical case for the fact that God does freely and unconditionally harden those whom he chooses to harden. First of all, the text itself. It simply says those explicit words. Listen again. God hardens whomever he wills. Verse 18. That God hardens whomever he wills. The emphasis here is put on the will of God. Meaning, the will of God as opposed to the will of man, that God determines by his own will those whom he is going to harden. God hardens whomever he wills. Now, this does not negate the fact that those that sin... Those that are in open rebellion to God, it doesn't negate the fact that they really do of their own will sin and that they really are guilty and complicit in that sin. And that God is actually just for condemning them for that sin. That's true. But the point that Paul is making here is that God's sovereignty is behind the hardening of the heart of humanity that is in rebellion. That somehow the mystery of God is this, that they are guilty in their sin and at the same time God hardens them in their rebellion. Both of those are true. Let's go to a little larger context. Beyond verse 18, let's go to the immediate context around this verse. What Paul is doing here is that he is paralleling mercy and hardening. He is drawing this parallel between mercy and hardening so that 
what he says about mercy, he's using it as a parallel and is also saying about God's hardening. Let me show that to you. Verses 15 and 16 of Romans 9. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but upon God who has mercy. His point here, God gives mercy on whomever he determines, and it has nothing to do with what the individual does. That God makes that decision freely in himself. It's not based upon human will or exertion, but just upon the will of God who has mercy. And then he goes into this illustration in verse 17 of Pharaoh. And he talks about Pharaoh and who we know from the story of Pharaoh had a very hard heart who resisted God even though God was in his face displaying his mighty power. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the point that he concludes in verse 18 is this, related to Pharaoh. So then, God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So he's using this parallel between mercy and hardening and saying in just the same way that God has mercy on whomever he wills, regardless of human will or exertion, but only upon God in the same way God hardens whomever he wills. It's a parallel. The text is defining that. And then, larger context, go to verse 19. It's going to identify the same truth here. Verse 19 says, You will say to me then, Why does he, God, still find fault for who can resist his will? Do you see the objection that's being raised here Paul is addressing? You see, when some heard Paul's teaching here, they said, Wait a minute, Paul, wait a minute. You're saying that God has mercy on whomever he wants to, all in his own choice, and he hardens whomever he wants to, all in his own choice? Then I have an objection, Paul, and the objection is this. How can he fault anybody then? Because God's will is always accomplished. Who can resist his will? If that's the will of God, and that's what happens, how can we then, how can then God justifiably fault humanity that is in their rebellion, in the hardness of their heart. Now, I'm not answering that today. That and the following verses are the subject of next week. I'm simply pointing out to you here that what is happening is this is another validation that what Paul is teaching is in fact this. God hardens whomever he determines in himself to harden. If he didn't, there would be no cause for the objection of verse 19. But the fact that it, that it is there is showing that that is exactly what Paul is teaching. One more step into a larger context here. Immediately following verse 19, Paul begins to talk about the potter. And he pictures this potter that has got this clay and he's making two different kinds of vessels out of the clay that he has. And what he says is that the potter makes one vessel that is for 
honorable use. And then he makes another vessel that is for dishonorable use. Verse 21, listen. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Now, I'm not preaching this text this morning. I just want to show you how this goes back to validate the truth about God's hardening. You see, in this text, the same potter is making one vessel for dishonorable use and one for honorable. But what is true about the clay from which he makes them? Look at it closely. They are made out of the same lump. They're made out of the same lump. That means that there is absolutely no distinction between the clay that he uses to make for an honorable vessel and the clay that he uses to make for a dishonorable vessel. Meaning, he's continually driving the truth that he is making home. And that's this. The potter, God, has the right to do what God desires and chooses to do in his will. He's God. And what that means in his sovereignty is that he has mercy on whomever he wills in his own decision and he hardens whomever he wills in his own decision. And what Paul is saying is God claims the right to do that and he exercises the right to do that. And who are we to say that he has not that right? That's the point. That's the point. Okay, so we have looked at the text. And seeing that the text explicitly says God has the right as God to harden whomever he chooses to. And then we've looked at the larger circles of context that validate that. Now let's jump to the quote from Exodus chapter 9 verse 16. Let me give you the quick setup here. God has come to Moses. Moses is now on the backside of the desert. He's in Midian. He's far removed from Egypt. He had been born there in Egypt and he had been raised in Pharaoh's house. But then through the circumstances of events that I'm not going to go into, he flees to the backside of the desert. He's in Midian. He's keeping the sheep of Jethro, his father-in-law. He's a shepherd there. He's there for 40 years and God is shaping and making him into the man that he wants to be so that he can use him for the task which, which he is going to call him to and then God shows up in the burning bush and he calls to Moses and he begins to tell Moses of what his plan is for Moses and he says to Moses I want you to go back to Egypt and I'm going to use you to free the he the Israelite people from their bondage in Egypt I'm going to use you My power is going to be poured out through you and I am going to free the people in Egypt. And so here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to go back there and I want you to say to Pharaoh what I tell you to say. And here's what I want you to say. Pharaoh, let my people go. Now look at Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. This is just the quote from Romans chapter 9, verse 17. God speaking to Pharaoh, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. 
Why did, Pharaoh, why did Paul use this verse? Why did he reach back into Exodus chapter 9 and select this verse to prove the case that he is building about God's freedom to harden whomever he wants to harden? How does this context prove that? Well, let me just show you elements of the story to show you how powerful this illustration is. Look at verse 12 of Exodus 9. Just four verses before this, verse 916. Look at what it says. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he, Pharaoh, did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. You see that last line there? As the Lord had spoken to Moses. Does this say what it sounds like it's saying? It sounds like it's saying that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh so that he would not listen to what God had commanded Moses to command Pharaoh to do. That's what it sounds like it's saying. That actually God is at work in keeping Pharaoh in open rebellion against the direct command of God through Moses. That's what it sounds like. Now I'm going to just give you a a couple of ways that this is explained. And I'll try to give you the rest of the biblical context here. Some say... Well, if you look closely at the story in Egypt there and the ten plagues that God brought upon the the Egyptian people against Pharaoh, that the text says, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And somewhere about midway through the plagues, then it starts talking about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And that God didn't start hardening Pharaoh's heart until he had already went a long way down the track of hardening his own heart first. That's one of the ways that people interpret that to kind of get away from this idea that God actually, by his own decision, determines he's going to harden someone and keep them in rebellion. But here's the problem with that. It is, in fact, it does flow like that in the plagues that are identified, but the larger context of the story makes it absolutely undeniable that this is all the work of God, meaning Pharaoh's stubbornness is all the work of God. Let me show you that in the text. If we take a wider angle view of this story, if we go clear back to Exodus chapter 4, here's where we're at. Moses is still in Midian. Moses hasn't went to Egypt yet. And there in Midian... God says to him, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go. Exodus 4.21, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his, Pharaoh's heart, so that he will not let the people go. Do you see this? This is long before Moses is in Egypt. He's clear back in Midian. He hasn't even set off on his journey yet. And God's saying to him, Moses, I want you to know what I'm going to do. Go tell Pharaoh this. Go demand from me that he let the people go. But here's what I'm going to do. I am going to harden his heart so that he disobeys the very thing that I am commanding you to tell him to do. God takes direct 
responsibility in the fact that he is going to harden Pharaoh's heart even before Moses launches out in his journey. And then in Exodus chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, Moses is in Egypt now. He's made his first approach to Pharaoh. Pharaoh responds by telling them, okay, if you're going to come to me without request, here's what we're going to do. You're going to have to make bricks now without straw. None of the plagues have been unleashed yet. This is before the very first plague in Exodus chapter 7, 3 and 4. And God says to Moses, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Now, isn't that pretty clear that what is ultimately behind the hardening of Pharaoh is a sovereign God that is saying long before it happens, I am going to do this. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he does not obey the very expressed command that I give him through you, Moses. I'm going to do this. I'm going to harden him. Now, isn't it really clear then why Paul would reach into this story In Romans chapter 9, as he's building his case of God's sovereignty and he's teaching that God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, but he's also teaching the other aspect of God's sovereignty that he hardens whom he wants to harden. And so he reaches back into the story of Pharaoh and says, let me illustrate this with the life of Pharaoh. And the fact is with Pharaoh that God did this. God raised Pharaoh up for this very purpose, that he could display his power in Pharaoh and that his name would be proclaimed in all of the earth. And the cliff notes, the teaching on that is this. God not only has mercy on whomever he wants to have mercy, he hardens whomever he wants to harden. That's the story. And that's the evidence that Paul gives to say this is the way God has always worked. He hardens whomever he wills. So we've looked at the immediate text, verse 18, and it says, God hardens whomever he wills. And then we looked at these circles of increasing context throughout Romans 9 that just clearly indicate the same truth. And then we jumped to Exodus and saw in the story of Pharaoh that God is a God who freely and unconditionally in himself chooses those whom he hardens. And then there are many other verses throughout Scripture that I could give you that indicate the same truth. But let me just give you two, one from the Old Testament and one from the New, to show you the wider biblical context. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. God has even made the wicked for the day of trouble. That's a sovereign statement about God, not only determining the realities of His election and extending His grace and mercy, but also determining the realities of the sin that is in the world and those who will remain hardened in their sin. And then in Jude chapter 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. This is Jude writing about the church, the New Testament church, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were 
designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Do you see what Jude is saying here? Jude is saying that there is ungodly people who have crept into the church and they're perverting the truth and the grace of God. But what Jude says about it is that even those people, even those very ungodly perverted people, they are there because they were designated for that condemnation by God. You see, this is the sovereign will of God in all things, working all things according to the counsel of His will, and that covers both His mercy and His hardening. It's the consistent message of Scripture. So the verse, the, the doctrine that I'm referring to here, kind of a, a long, big word, the doctrine I'm referring to here is called theologically the doctrine of reprobation. The doctrine of reprobation, that there are those who are reprobate, that there are God, those whom God hardens, and in that hardening, they remain in their sin until they are ultimately condemned to an eternity without God in hell. So here's a conclusion then. End with this question. How are election or God's dispensing of mercy and God's hardening similar and are there any differences in how that takes place? How are they the same and how they operate, and how are they, if anything, different in how they operate? Well, we've looked at how they are the same. They're the same in that God just in His sovereign will determines those upon whom He will have mercy, and He in His sovereign will determines those upon whom He will harden. They're the same. They're free and unconditional. But how are they different? Are they? Yes, they are. How so? Well, with mercy... No one who receives mercy deserves the mercy that they receive. Not one of the elect is ever elect because they deserve that election. No one is ever justified by God because there was something in them that merited that justification. Here's the truth. Every one of us what we ultimately deserve, every human being ultimately deserves God's condemnation, that He would be ultimately just if He condemned us to hell. That's what His justice would be if all of us received, according to our own deeds, what our deeds deserve before a holy God. What we would get is eternal condemnation. So mercy is something that is granted because of the elect purposes, the eternal decrees of God upon a certain group of people simply because God is determined to do so. He's free in that. He has the right to do that. What about his hardening? Well, the biblical story of his hardening is that everyone whom God hardens they are guilty in their sin. They deserve the condemnation that they are moving toward. That's how God's mercy in its sovereign disp dispensing is different than His hardening. You see, everyone who ends up 
condemned eternally deserves to be so. So God's hardening of them, His ultimate judgment of them in His sovereignty simply does this, that it determines the end of those it doesn't remove their guilt it simply determines the certainty of it forever not that he makes them sin but he determines that their sin is going to end up being a condemnation forever you see it doesn't remove the guilt of sin it simply guarantees the certainty of it forever So here's the great mystery. Here's the great mystery here. That in God's sovereign hardening, mankind is guilty and complicit in his sin, and God at the same time is free and unconditional in his hardening. Both of those are true biblically. That's where it stretches our mind, that's where it outstrips our reasoning ability. But what I am praying this morning is that through the, the biblical narrative, through the Word of God, that you could have the faith to see that God is big enough. He is big enough both to extend mercy on whom He wants and to harden whom He wants. And that those He hardens, that He chooses to harden, they're guilty and complicit in their sin. So that what Paul is proving is Romans chapter 9, verse 14, that God is not unjust in those actions. He's just in doing so. He's just in doing so. So let me just conclude with this. What does that say? What is the fact of God's freedom in extending mercy and in hardening say? Here's what it tells me. Number one, it tells me that all rebellion... All rebellion against God. God is currently working in the midst of that to somehow display His glory. That's what He did with Pharaoh. That though it didn't look like it for a period of time, that because we know the full story there, what we can see is that God was working in the midst of that open rebellion to display His own glory. And then secondly, taking that to a wider perspective, here's what this doctrine of reprobation tells us, and that is that all rebellion is ultimately going to result in the glory of God. All rebellion. You look at the world and you say, wait a minute, there is so many atrocities being conducted, being carried out on this world, things that we can't even talk about that would just cause us to weep if we could see them as they are really taking place. But here's what we know from the biblical text, and that is that all of that open, aggressive rebellion and fighting against God, ultimately in the end, God is going to use it to bring glory to Himself in the end. The Bible teaches that truth over and over again. And then finally, number three. What can we learn from this truth? And that is this. God's sovereignty means that our future 
cannot be anything other than what God determines it's going to be. Nothing is going to upset it. Nothing is going to make it unsure that if you are one of the elect of God, you can be absolutely sure that nothing is going to take place. Nothing is going to come to bear on your circumstance that is going to cause you to miss out on the glory of God forever with him. Nothing. Why? Because God is so perfectly sovereign that all of the things of this earth, of this universe, are going to be done according to His perfect will just as He determines it. That includes the the dispensing of His mercy. That includes the dispensing of His hardening as He chooses and that He's going to follow through and complete everything that He starts. That gives me confidence to know that as a child of God, I am absolutely secure. Though the world continues to disintegrate around me, God is in in charge. God is in control. Even over the wicked acts of men. Would you please stand? Father, again, this is... It's challenging stuff. It's challenging stuff. But I'm asking just again that your word would just go out and accomplish that which you desire it to accomplish. And that you would help us to see the beauty in the truth of the ultimate and absolute sovereignty that you possess that it is truly the one great hope and that you are conducting all of the affairs of this universe according to your perfect, determined will and will fulfill them in their entirety. Thank you for that. Help us to see your glory through that. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.